0: We are in a series called Winning the War in Your Mind. Winning the War in Your Mind. I wonder today how many of us are in the middle of really a pretty decent life. Maybe, maybe a pretty good life. Really, if we put it on a global scale, how many of us are really in the midst of an excellent life? And yet somehow, some way, we find a way to complain in the midst of every day. Somehow, way, we find the rain cloud in every situation. The reason why that happens is we are not actively engaging the war in our mind. You see, what we've discovered throughout this series is that most of life's battles are won or lost in the mind. Most of life's battles are won or lost, not out here, but are actually won or lost right here. They are won or they are lost In the mind. The reality is, the life that you have is a reflection of the thoughts that you think. We can look into your life and get a glimpse at the thoughts that you think. The reason that that is is that what comes into your mind tends to come out in your life. Now, that's not to say every single thought that you have is going to come out in your life. The reality is all of us have thoughts that come into our mind that are fleeting, uh, that we don't choose to dwell on. Man, we can't control everything that comes in, but we can control what do we meditate on, what do we think on. Our lives are always moving in the direction of our strongest thoughts, And because our lives are always moving in the direction of our strongest thoughts, the reality is that you cannot have a positive life when you have a negative mind. With all that being said, this morning we are going to engage the battle in our minds. Maybe not what you would expect to hear about on Mother's Day, but I believe moms will be blessed by this message, man, that moms can win this battle as well. But this is really for all of us. Man, our lives are always moving in the direction of our strongest thoughts. What we've done over the last two weeks is given some homework, given some assignments. I hope you've been walking out your homework. I hope you are doing well on this. If you haven't, you've got time to jump on board and make it happen today. Man, find some time today. So our first assignment from week one was this. You need to, number one, identify the biggest stronghold in your thinking, the biggest stronghold in your mind that's holding you back right now. Is it? fear is it doubt is it shame is it guilt is it unforgiveness is it temptation what is the biggest stronghold in your mind right now it might not be any of those things it might be something totally different but identify that number 1 stronghold and then go to war with it and the way we go to war with it number 2 is we're going to name the truth that demolishes the stronghold in other words we're going to find the scripture the promise of God, the thing that he's spoken over his people that speaks to that lie that the enemy is speaking into our life. And we're going to name the truth, define the truth that demolishes that stronghold. Why do we say it demolishes the stronghold? Because 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 through 5 says this. It says, For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons that we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary the weapons that we fight with have divine power to demolish strongholds. Divine power to demolish strongholds. In other words, you're not weak, you're not defeated, you're not mediocre, you're not barely getting by, you're not just struggling for air to survive. God's plan for you, his provision for you, what he's given you as a believer is victory. He's given you more than enough not just to make it through your day, But to actually demolish that stronghold in here that you can walk in freedom, you can walk in joy, you can walk in the life that he's provided for you. How does that happen? Well, verse 5 tells us. It says we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. So if the... World gives us an argument. The culture gives us a pretension. Our flesh tells us something that's contrary to what the Word of God says. We're going to take our divine power, these weapons that God's given us, and we're going to demolish that thing. We're going to destroy it. We're going to say it has no place to take root in our life any longer. And then it says we take captive every thought. Everybody say every thought. Every thought to make it obedient to God. Why is it so important to make every thought obedient to God? Because your life is going to be a reflection of your thoughts. It just is. So week one, we said identify the biggest stronghold and go to war with it, demolish it, find the truth that demolishes it. Week two, last week, we said this is what we're going to do. We're going to take that confession, that truth that demolishes the stronghold, we're going to write it down. So I don't just want you to kind of cognitively be aware of it. I want you to write it down, type it out, have it somewhere where you can see it. Then you're going to think on it. You're going to meditate on it. You're going to confess it. You're going to speak it out loud until you believe it. You're going to write it. You're going to think it. You're going to confess it until you believe it. You're going to write it. You're going to think it. You're going to confess it until you believe it. Would you say that with me? We're going to write it. We're going to think it. We're going to confess it until we believe it. One more time. We're going to write it. We're going to think it. We're going to confess it until we believe it. Why? Because if we don't, if we move on from this, if we practice this for a day or for a week, the reality is we're going to default back to that same place we were before. We've got to continue to do this until it truly takes root in our life. And then once you've gotten victory over that number one stronghold, now there's going to be a new number one. So you got to identify that one, and you're going to do the same process all over again. This isn't just for a four-week series. These are tools I want to give you for your life from this point forward that, man, you can put this into practice and see victory come in your thought life. So today in part three, we're going to talk about defeat your negative thoughts. Defeat your negative thoughts. Would you pray with me? Father God, I thank you that you have given us weapons, God, you've given us the word of the God, the sword of the spirit that has given us the ability to demolish strongholds. I just pray right now in Jesus' name that as we study your word, as we meditate on your word, as we focus on your truths, God, that strongholds would fall all over this room. God, all over our church, God, that we would begin to take up our sword. And see victory in our lives. God, I thank you that you are for us. I thank you that you've blessed us. God, I thank you that you've given us the ability to see things the way you see them. So God, help us to walk in that and to retrain our brains to defeat negative thinking. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name, everyone said, amen. 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 We've seen that the reason why this is happening is psychology is agreeing with the word of God. Right, That God created our brains, God created science, and science 2,000 years later has discovered truths that help us understand how those strongholds in our mind actually work. You see, we have what's called neural pathways in our brain. And these neural pathways are the path that a thought travels from one part of the brain to to the other. And the more often you think a thought, the deeper and stronger that that pathway gets. It gets easier and easier to walk. Just like if you were to walk on a trail, if you walk on a trail that nobody's touched in five years, it's gonna be overgrown and very difficult. But if you walk on a trail that 300 people walked in the same day, it's gonna be beaten down and very easy for you to walk on. Well, that's the way the neural pathways work. This is great news if we're renewing our mind. It's great news if we're putting God's word in. If we're meditating on what God has spoken over us and said over us, It's also horrible news if we're not. If we're believing the lies, if we're receiving the lies, if we're living out those thoughts in our mind and defaulting the way that most of us default, this is really bad news. This is why it's so important for us to take up our sword and go to battle today. This is why this is not an area we can procrastinate. This is not an area that we can say, we'll get to this after we deal with this, 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 and this, because the longer we wait, the harder it gets. And so we got to engage the battle now. The good news is God's given you weapons that are strong enough to bring you victory. God's given you weapons that are strong enough to set you free. He's given you weapons that are strong enough to allow you to no longer be a captive in your mind, but you got to use them. And so that's what this series is all about, is empowering you to use those weapons to reprogram your brain. Today we're going to discover how to defeat our negative thoughts. Today we're going to talk about cognitive biases. Cognitive bias is a psychological term that really talks about what we could call mental filters. You see, a cognitive bias is a mistake in reasoning based on our personal experience or preferences. So for example, when I was in youth ministry, one thing that we saw many times is there would be a young person who was hurt by their father Maybe dad abandoned them, maybe dad abused them, maybe dad wasn't there for whatever reason, and this isn't to beat down on dads, there's a ton of great dads too, but man, dads, we have the ability to bring some real damage into somebody's life. Uh, And so many times I saw young people who were very damaged by their father, a lot of times young girls, and those girls had a hard time trusting any male figure, Because they'd been hurt, because they'd been lied to, because they'd been neglected or abandoned or whatever the situation may be, they carried that into relationships with a lot of other men. And that goes beyond youth group, that goes beyond middle school and high school, that oftentimes can carry out decades throughout someone's life. Why? Why? Because they've built a defense mechanism in their brain to protect them from getting hurt the same way that they've been hurt before. But it's a cognitive bias. It carries out into future relationships. What that really is, is is the enemy's creativity in using something that he hurt you with years ago to still hurt you today. He does it in all kinds of ways. It doesn't have to be daddy issues. Another way it may be perhaps you grew up in a family that didn't have a lot of money. Uh, And your parents didn't like people who did have a lot of money. They thought people who did have a lot of money were dishonest or stealing or or whatever it might be. They thought they were greedy, and they spoke negatively about those people who had money. And God has started to bless you, and you started to get some success in your life. And now you're dealing with feelings of guilt and shame because you have something when you grew up being trained that, man, people who have are evil, And are wrong, and so you're dealing with this. It's a cognitive bias where this thing from your past is fleshing itself out in your future, in your present. This can happen in all kinds of ways. These are filters. We all have filters, so let me give you an example of a filter, we live in a generation that makes this really easy, right? So we have picture filters, so I'll show you, this is my Facebook profile, Uh, this is a picture of my wife Melody and I, happy Mother's Day Mel, she's actually out getting ready to bless moms after service, so she's not in here right now. Uh, But That's my beautiful wife, and I I think she looks great in this picture, and I don't look as bad as usual, so I chose this as my profile picture, it's been my profile picture for a while. This was actually taken last June at a church, In where were we? Panama City, Florida. We were on vacation. uh, Spent a week in Panama, and so we went to church uh, there in Panama. And we took a little selfie, and it's been my profile picture because I don't change my stuff very often, right? So there it is. That's that's my profile picture. Now, if you let somebody from Gen Z get a hold of my profile picture, it looks something like this. Go ahead and put that next one up for us, right? Changes the look a little bit, right? It's not so much this fun, life-giving picture of me and my wife. Now we look ridiculous. Uh, Now we look silly uh, as we have dog nose and dog ears and whatever else. Uh, That's how a filter works. This is obviously a silly representation of it. But this is really what happens in our minds is we get these mental filters that change the reality of what we're actually seeing. We see something that's not actually there based on our previous hurt, our previous experience or our natural biases. And so we want to learn to deal with those filters. This is why two people, excuse me can respond to the same situation and completely different ways. So I heard a story when I was younger of two boys that were involved in a psychological study. And so these team brought them in and they put each of them in a room and they had you know, the, the two-way mirrors where they could watch the boys, but the boys didn't know they were being watched. And they had the boys in there and each of the room had been filled with horse manure. Man, just everywhere you were at, horse manure. And so they let the boys in there for an hour. And after an hour, they opened the door, and here's what was going on in each of the rooms. And one of the rooms, the boy was doing exactly what most of us would do. He was in the corner crying. What did I do? Why is this thing done to me? Why why am I being punished right now? This is completely not fair, right? Surrounded by horse manure. In the other room, they opened the door, and the boy who's in the second room is flinging poop everywhere. He's flinging it everywhere, and he's got a big old smile on his face, and he says this. He says, man, with all this poop around here, there's got to be a pony somewhere. (laughs) What is that? That's two different filters. That's one filter who sees the things that come at him in life as, man, I'm being mistreated. I'm a victim. This is unfair. There's the other filter of, man, there's an opportunity here. There's a chance here. There's something that's going to make my life better. Now, obviously, that's an extreme example, but this is the way that it works. Let's talk more realistic. Okay? Two employees get called into the manager's office, to have the same conversation. Man, you're doing a really good job. Here's one area that I think you could do better. Here's one aspect of customer service that, that we really want to see you take a step forward in. One employee can get very offended, very upset by that. How dare you? Man, I work so hard for you. I get here early. Why would you talk to me like that? And the other employee can say, thank you so much, man, for letting me know that. I didn't even know I was doing that, but now you've enabled me to, to get even better at what I do. Thank you. The same conversation. The facts don't change, but the filter changes. And this, the response can be completely opposite based on what filter is being used. We can see this in churches, right? A guest can walk into a church based on their filter, based on their experiences. Man, I hate being in a place like this feel like I'm surrounded by a bunch of hypocrites. I see a whole bunch of people around here who are acting like they're one thing, but I know they're something else. The next person can walk into the same church with the same people and the same service and say, oh my goodness, I feel so loved here. I mean, I feel the presence of God here. Look what God is doing. I want to be a part of this. Why? Because they're bringing in a completely separate filter. Our filters affect So many things. They affect our relationships. They affect our calling towards what God has for us. Let me give you a biblical example. In the book of Numbers, chapter 13 and 14, the people of Israel have come to the edge of the promised land. And Moses selects 12 spies. You probably know the story. He chooses 12 spies, and he sends them in, one from each tribe. He says, you're going to go in, and you're going to scout out the land. I want you to bring back a report for us because God has promised us this land. Tell us what's here. Well, you know what happens? He sends in 12 spies. They go into the same promised land. They see the same people. They see the same crops, the same experiences, and they come back with vastly different reports. Two spies, Joshua and Caleb, walk out, and they say, wow, it's even better than what God said. Man, it's flowing with milk and honey. There's grapes the size of your face. Man, this place is perfect. God has outdone himself. We can surely take this land he has promised for us. But 10 walk out with a completely different report. They walk out and they say, we dare not move another step forward. The enemy is great. There are many, and they are huge. They are giants. In fact, man, we look like grasshoppers in their eyes. We're nobody. They're going to wipe us off the face of the earth. I don't know what God is thinking, but this is not the place he has for us. The same facts, but a different filter. One walked in with a filter of faith. This is what God has promised, and he will surely come through. The others walked in with a filter of fear, and they found what they were looking for. What filter are you carrying into your job? What filter are you carrying into your parenting? What filter are you carrying into your relationships? What filter are you carrying in your relationship with God? Your filter is going to determine so much of what you actually see. So we're going to begin to select some different filters, to begin to choose a faith filter, to begin to choose a filter that God has for us. There's another thing we're going to do. We're not just going to determine how we filter it, but we're also going to determine how we frame it. Psychologists teach us about reframing. Reframing is creating a different way of looking at a situation or relationships by changing its meaning. A different way of looking at a situation or a relationship by changing its meaning. So to illustrate this, a couple of weeks ago we told you God has blessed us to sell our house that we bought in 2006 and uh, we just sold it we closed on it a few weeks ago and God blessed us in a in a big way and we're so grateful for what he's done and we told you that in 2011 we tried to sell the same house we put it on the market we asked nothing above we just just what we owed for it and we were on the market for six months we got zero offers not even a low ball not even somebody trying to take it from us nobody wanted our house. And at the time, we were devastated. At the time, man, we were crying out to God. God, what are you doing? God, where are you? God, you've promised to bless us and provide for us, and you're silent. Now, with the benefit of hindsight, I can look back and see that God's silence was his blessing. Man, he was preventing us from making a mistake. He was preventing us from missing out on the call that he had for us. We didn't realize it in the moment, but God was up to something then, so... I can reframe that situation in 2011 very easily, but what we actually want to do is get to where we can reframe things before we even see the provision, before we even see the blessing. That instead of seeing it in the negative, that, man, I'm going to see God's up to something even if I don't know what it is. I'm going to believe that he's for me because he's promised that he's for me. You see, the reality is you can't control what happens to you, but you can control how you frame it. Let me demonstrate this with this Picture up here. Some of us, I feel like, are so good at seeing a beautiful scene like this. This is a canyon somewhere on the Utah-Arizona border. We're uh, actually going to get to travel the west quite a bit this summer. We're going to share with you a little bit about our trip next week. I'm really excited to to share with you. But it's a a beautiful canyon, amazing picture, a place that, man, any of us would love to, to get a photo. But I feel like some of us are so good at framing things negatively that we can look at a picture like this and we can find, how come there's clouds? right? Man, man, why couldn't it just be a blue day, right? Why couldn't I have a blue sky today, God? Like, you're always going to have a cloud right in the midst of what I'm trying to do. Some of us are so good, we can find the little bitty area that doesn't quite line up the way that we want it to and focus on that and miss out on the big picture that God's blessed us with something amazing. I'm challenging you. Start looking for the bigger picture. Start looking for the larger frame. Start taking a step back where you can get a different perspective and see what God is really up to. How many of us, I wonder today, you're at a place in your life right now that you feel like is actually the exact opposite of where you wanted to be. You always wanted to be married. Man, you just looked forward to being a godly husband or a godly wife, you prayed for that spouse, maybe you even saved yourself for marriage, you did premarital counseling, you did all the right stuff, and yet here today you find yourself divorced. And you step back and you look looking, how, how did I even get to this place? Maybe you're not divorced, maybe you're in a, a loveless marriage right now, a marriage that feels like it's falling apart, and you're like, man, I'm at the complete opposite place of where I wanted to be. Maybe you got a lot of education towards a very specific career. Man, you felt drawn to this career, towards this field. God, I'm so excited to do this. And you went and you spent a lot of money and a lot of time and a lot of effort and a lot of energy pouring into this specific degree. And you got that degree, and then for whatever reason, because of the economy or or because a whole lot of other people got that same degree or whatever it is, there's no jobs in that field. And now you're doing something totally different, and it feels like it's way beneath your education level. And you're like, God, I ended up totally opposite of where I wanted to be. Maybe you're here and you feel like God's called you into a specific role, into a specific ministry, into a specific opportunity, a specific way to use your gifts and use your faith, and yet it seems like there's no open doors, and it seems like you just don't have time to develop that thing, and you're not even using that gift in any active way in your life right now. You're like, man, I'm at the complete opposite place of where I wanted to be. Well, if that's how you feel today, I want you to know that the Apostle Paul can identify. See, the Apostle Paul had a dream. We've been studying him throughout this series. And he had a dream. In fact, he had a lot of dreams in ministry. But perhaps his biggest goal, his biggest aspiration of all is God had called him and sent him to the nations to to share the gospel with the Gentiles. His biggest dream that he talked about in so many of his letters was he wanted to go to Rome. God, just get me to Rome. God, I want to share people in in Rome. I want to tell them about Jesus. I want to minister to people in Rome. And as Paul writes the book of Philippians, he's in Rome. He's arrived at the place that he's prayed for and looked for, but he's not arrived in the way that he wanted or expected. You see, Paul arrived to Rome as a prisoner. He arrived there in chains. In fact, as he gets to Rome, he's imprisoned in house arrest for two years. We think a lot of times the system in America is really slow, and we think that's a modern problem. Apparently, it's gone on for a long time. But Paul awaited trial for two years in house arrest. In two years in chains, as he's writing this letter to the Philippians, Paul could have framed his situation very differently. In fact, let me give you an alternate version of Philippians 1 12 and 13. This is from the NWV, this is the new winer version. This is what Paul says. Now, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me really sucks. As a result of all the hell that I've been through, I'm quitting Citigroup, and I'm never going back to church. The NWV version. Some of you are like, man, I can identify with that Bible better than my Bible. Where do I get that one? Uh, That one's actually not for sale. It's not an actual real translation. That's not actually what Paul said. As Paul's in chains, as he's in prison, this is what he said instead, because he used a different frame for his situation. Listen to what he says. He says, Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. What did he do? He stepped away from his frame and he looked at a bigger picture. This isn't just about me. It's not just about my feelings. It's not just about what I see. God's up to something bigger than just me. He says it's actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it's become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. What's happening? Paul's under house arrest. Every eight hours, he gets a new guard who actually has to chain himself to Paul so he cannot escape. And so Paul says, you think that I'm the prisoner, but the reality is you're the prisoner. You're my captive audience. And so for the next eight hours, you're going to hear nothing but about Jesus Christ. You're going to hear the gospel. You're going to hear who saved you. And Paul takes that captive audience. And what he says, he says, the whole palace guard is coming to Jesus. Revival's breaking out in Rome. Exactly what God wanted to happen is taking place because Paul chose to frame his situation in such a way as he saw the opportunity rather than the problem. What if we all did this? What if we all began to look for the opportunity in the midst of our negative circumstances instead of getting defeated, instead of getting depressed, instead of getting discouraged, instead of feeling like everything is against us? What if we saw it as a chance? God's got something for me in this. God's going to open a door for me in this. I'm going to seize it, and I'm going to find it. Paul chose to frame his situation well. Verse 14, he says, because of my chains not in spite of my chains. God's not working in spite of me being in prison. He's working because I'm in chains. Most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. Paul saw a bigger picture that because of his chains, because of what he could complain about, what he could cry about, what he could complain, God, why did you allow this to happen to me? That that's actually inspiring others, that others are actually seeing Jesus at work because God was using him in prison. And he says, God, your plan's better than my plan, and I'm going to embrace the plan that you have for me instead of complaining that it wasn't my That's powerful stuff. That's life-changing stuff if we can get a hold of this church. It changes your job situation. It changes your marriage. It changes your parenting. It changes your calling. It can flip any situation upside down if we will allow God to help us reframe our situation. So how do we do it? I want to give you very quickly as we close three tips to reframe your story and your relationships. Three tips to reframing your story and relationship. Number one, Start thanking God for what didn't happen. Start thanking God for what didn't happen. I heard a story of a 20-year-old college girl who came home and she told her parents, "I got to share something with you. I-, I need you to sit down. This might hurt a little bit." And so she begins to say, "I went out the other night and went drinking and probably had a little too much to drink. And I, I met a guy and went back to his place. And one thing led to another. And uh, I want you to know, this morning I, I took a pregnancy test and I'm pregnant." Uh, and, and good news is he, he wants to be involved in the baby's life. I've already talked to him. He's going to be involved. He said as, as soon as he gets out of rehab, he's going to be here. He's going to be with me uh, when, when we have the baby, and we can't really afford to get married right now, but he's going to move in with us here, so don't worry. He's going to be around once he gets out. Uh, once he gets off probation, he's going to get a job, and then we're going to get married. And Mom and Dad are like, it's a lot to process in one moment, Right? And she says, "Not nah, just kidding. I just got a D on my chemistry test. I just wanted you to know it could always be worse, right? <laughs> what would she do? She framed the situation pretty well, didn't she? She helped her parents see, yeah, man, there might be a problem in what just happened. I-, I imagine the parents probably didn't react super well to that, actually. That may not have gone as well as she thought it would. But it makes for a good story and a good example. Uh, start thanking God for what didn't happen a couple years ago. Uh, we got a new vehicle right when we had our son Noah, and literally like three weeks after we got this new vehicle, I was taking our daughter Alexa to the parents' day out that she was in the preschool. Uh, and as I'm pulling in, I'm pulling in probably a little late and I'm pulling in a little fast. I, I hit another car, uh, and literally just got this vehicle, the most we've ever spent on a vehicle, and here I am getting into a fender bender. And I was so mad at myself, uh, and, and so so frustrated, and so discouraged, and so angry obviously it cost some money to fix the other vehicle and cost some money to fix ours. And we had to get this poor girl that I hit. She was from Arkansas. And I focused on all this stuff. It's like, man, why couldn't this have happened three weeks ago in our other vehicle before it had to happen in our new vehicle? Like, why did it have to go this way? And, and God really had to get a hold of me and say, your daughter's fine. You're fine. This cost under $1,000. It's not even that big of a deal. You actually have the money. You have an emergency fund for, like, the first time in your life to be able to pay for this. Like, does it? hurt a little bit? Does it sting? Yes. Do you need to slow down and think a little better when you drive? Yes. But I've already prepared you for this. I've already taken care of you in this. You don't need to freak out about this. You don't need to lose. Let this destroy your day. Let this destroy your opportunity to be a blessing. It's just reframing. It's the same set of facts. It's just choosing to see them differently. Start thanking God for the things that didn't happen. How many things could have happened to you that didn't? A whole lot that you've probably never thought about, right? Take a step back and thank God for that stuff that didn't happen. Thank God for all those times as a kid when you broke the law and you didn't get arrested. Right? All those times where where you did something you shouldn't have behind the wheel, and you didn't get an accident. Man, many of us should not be alive right now, myself included. Uh, It is by God's grace and God's grace alone. Now, that's not encouragement if you're young to go be stupid because Pastor was stupid when he was young too. Learn from my mistakes and be better than me. Uh, But the reality is there's a whole lot of things that could have happened, a whole lot of junk that could have come into my life that I would have deserved that in God in his grace has protected me and shielded me from. Start thanking God for what could have happened. Secondly, start to practice pre-framing. Start to practice pre-framing. Instead of waiting for a situation to happen to determine how am I going to react to it or feel about it, start preparing your mind, hey, this is how I'm going to feel. Let me explain this. When you wake up in the morning, do you feel like, oh, no, i got to go to work another day? I I, got to deal. I got to deal with those coworkers, man. I can't stand those people. Uh, I got to deal with the customers, man. The public is awful. Man, I hate this job. It's not what I want. I don't get paid enough. I work too hard. I work too long. I wake up too early. Right? If that's your mentality, you know what's going to happen when you get to work. It's not going to be a fun day. It's not going to be a fun day for you. You're not going to be life-giving to anybody around you. You're going to miss out on the opportunities God has to use you to be a blessing to somebody else. Instead, when you wake up, say, God, thank you that I have a job. It's maybe not my dream job. It's maybe not the one that I one day believe you're going to bless me with, but I've at least got one right now that helps pay the bills. God, thank you for these coworkers. They're not the greatest people there ever were, but but man, maybe I'm not the greatest person to them every day either, uh, God, but I get to work with them. God, thank you for giving me a chance to speak life into one of them. God, give me a chance to pray for somebody today. Help me to find somebody who needs encouragement. God, I thank you for these customers. Lord, sometimes they drive me crazy, but if it wasn't for them, there'd be no job, so thank you that we have have customers help me to treat them well and reflect jesus in my interactions with them right what is that you're pre-framing your mind to deal with the situation that you're going to go into and this can apply to your parenting it's going to apply to coming home from work to your spouse this can apply to to coming to serve in Kids city right you can think man ah, i can't believe i'm on the schedule today Oh, I got to, why did I sign up for this? Why did I let them talk me into this, right? Like, I'm not good at this. I'm not gifted at this. If you come in with that mentality, then you're probably not impacting any young person's life. But if you preframe frame your opportunity to serve in Kids City, God, thank you that you've blessed eight children to be in this class, God, that are going to hear about Jesus today, and you actually chose me to get to help tell them, God, you actually chose me to play a part in this kid discovering who Jesus is. God, I pray right now you prepare me. Give me the right words to say. Give me the attitude that I can receive them, that I can speak life into them. I can get on their level and us beside all my junk and my drama and focus on them, God, because you created them in your image. And I thank you that I'm going to be a blessing to them today. How much different is that kid's city class going to look? It's the same kid's it's the same curriculum, it's the same God, the only difference is how you framed your thinking and come into it with a completely different mentality. So start thanking God for what didn't happen. Secondly, start practicing pre-framing. Number three, look for God's goodness. Look for God's goodness. Do you believe that you serve a good God? Do you believe that you serve a God who's blessing you, who's for you, who's gone before you into situations? Of course you do. We'd all say yes. But if we believe we serve a good God who actually says in Psalm 23 that his goodness and his mercy shadow me, chase after me, follow me all the days of my life, that means there's going to be evidence of his goodness in every single day I just got to look for. You may have heard this illustration before, but I think it teaches it so beautifully. There's two birds that follow in the same area. In fact, we have them right here at our house. We've got vultures around our house all the time, and we've got hummingbirds around our house all the time. And those same two birds, they, they, they come around the same area, but they're looking for two different things. The vulture sets out in the morning, and he's looking for something dead. He's looking for a carcass. He's looking for rotting flesh. Something where flies are buzzing around and maggots are eating at it. Like, that's what the b- vulture's looking You know what? Every day he finds it. There's roadkill all over here. Man, that vulture, they, they are very successful at finding that dead carcass on the side of the road. But the hummingbird comes out looking for something totally different. The hummingbird sets out looking for something sweet. And every day that hummingbird flies, flies around, floats around until it finds something sweet. It finds that nectar. And you know what? The hummingbird finds it. The reality is, if you're looking for some death, if you're looking for something to complain about, if you're looking for something to be upset about, you'll find it. It's there. We live in a fallen world. We live in a broken world. We live in a messed up world with a whole lot of destruction. We have an enemy who came to steal, kill, and destroy, and he's good at his job. You can find the death if that's what you're looking for. But I promise, I promise you can find the sweetness if that's what you're looking for. You can find the joy. You can find the encouragement. You can find the hope. Why? Because we serve a God who is for us. We serve a God who is good. We serve a God who is blessing us. In fact, we serve a God who promises us in the book of Ephesians that he's blessed you with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. And if you've been blessed with every spiritual blessing, I promise you can find something good that God's up to in your life. Start thanking God for what didn't happen. Practice pre-framing your mind and your thoughts. And number three, look for God's goodness. If you'll do those things, it's going to help you, empower you to begin reframing. If you see yourself as the person who's capable of finding the clouds in the midst of a beautiful scene, take these three tips, and they'll allow you to begin reframing your brain and seeing something different. Ultimately, here's where we're headed. Here's the goal. I'm no longer interpreting God through my circumstances, but I'm interpreting my circumstances through the goodness of God. See, so often we interpret what God is up to and who God is based on what's happening in our life. And when we don't see God at work, we think God's abandoned us. We think he's silent. We think he's worried about somebody else. We think he's failed. But if we'll choose, instead of interpreting God through the lens of our circumstances, but to begin to interpret our circumstances through the lens of the goodness of God, it'll change everything. It'll completely, radically change our life and our perspective. You cannot have a positive life if you have a negative mind. So we're going to defeat our negative thoughts and see positivity come out of us. Why? Because God's called us to be life-giving. Because he's called us to be a blessing. And we can't be a blessing to others if we don't recognize we're blessed ourselves. Amen?